Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. You know, as of late, there has been lots of conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, some challenges to it as well, um, specifically around, you know, critical race theory and intersectionality. Um, but even though some folks see those things as very controversial, they really aren't. Um, and there's some things that we really need to focus on, particularly around intersectionality as we're doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And so today, my guest is Candace Welch, who is another practitioner um, that works in this space at the intersection of disability and um, race and gender and all of those things, all of those intersections. And so I'm really excited about having this conversation today. So Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. So for those that may not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this work? Yes. So um, I am currently a DEI practitioner for um, an organization based out of Los Angeles called the Los Angeles Homeless Service Authority. And our focus is within the homeless sector. But within my role, I handle all of the DEI initiatives and programming for our internal staff, which caps around 700 employees, both full-time and part-time. So um, I am truly dedicated to DEI work, really establishing it. But as a Black woman in DEI, I also identify as a disabled woman. I use a wheelchair um, 100% of my time. And so disability and accessibility is always on my mind. And I don't think we can have a conversation about DEI, particularly with equity and inclusion, without really digging into advocacy, disability, and true inclusion in everyone. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I know when we first spoke, you told kind of a personal story of, you know, how this work impacts you at that intersection. Um, But I don't think a lot of people realize that there's so many people that live at those intersections, right? Where they could be in the disability community and black or another ethnic background um, and a woman or someone that's, you know, part of the LGBTQ plus community. And so can you talk to us a little bit about why talking about those intersections are so important? Yeah, um, intersectionality is important because I feel like everyone comes into an intersectionality at some point in their life. Myself, I am fully aware that I am a Black woman, an educated Black woman, and those are the, you know, unique intersectionalities I learned as a young a young woman. But I think what really brought me into the DEI space and the advocacy portion is because although I am a black woman, I know for sure the first thing people see about me 
is my disability. That mm. is how they identify me. And I always tell people whenever I have this conversation, if I go out in the world and let's say let's, uh, a scenario that actually happened to me, I'm going out in the world to a meeting or an interview and that building is not accessible. They don't see a black woman. They don't see an educated black woman. They don't even see a woman. Mm-hmm. They only see, oh, she's in a wheelchair. Oh no, what do we do? So I always tell people, my intersectionality begins with begins and ends with disability. Everything else in the middle, it can be worked out. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it can be worked out. But that disability portion, it's what they see first. You know, and as you're talking, um, it reminded me of a conversation earlier on in the show. I think like season one, I talked to uh, Sherry Bernhaber about kind of accessibility as a part of this work. And the example that you gave is so many people think, okay, if we just throw a ramp here, we're good. Not necessarily thinking through other aspects of what access looks like. So Candace, you know, I'm really curious as to what organizations can do when they think about accessibility, when they think about disability in a way that it's not just what's the reactionary, mm-hmm. right? When they have, when they're faced with someone in a wheelchair or someone that may have a service dog or, you know, any other aspect of support that someone may need, what can organizations do ahead of time to be prepared for these things? You know, thank you, Sasha. I love that you asked that question because I think what people are starting to realize now, there's a difference between being ADA compliant, which is the American Disability Act compliant, and being truly accessible. Mm. Compliancy is like you said, throwing up a ramp, putting up a disabled, you know, accessible sign. That's compliancy. But having accessibility is completely different, but it doesn't take that much to do it. So when you ask what organizations can do, the first thing that comes to my mind is hire a consultant or hire someone that has some form of disability, whether it be physical, um, you know, whether they have limited mobility, hire someone that can come through and do some sort of walkthrough or what we like to call a possible roll through, making sure the aisles are wide enough, making sure if you're having an event and it's catered, making sure those tables are lowered, making sure that the tables are accessible so someone with a wheelchair or someone with additional medical devices can easily pull up under the table. It's these simple things that make a difference from someone feeling included and then someone feeling excluded or even worse, an afterthought. There's nothing worse than going to an event or a company and the first thing you you hear them say is, oh my gosh, we never thought about this. And I always tell people, you never want to tell me that because now you're never going to forget it. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because, you know, part of my career, um, 
was in field marketing. Like we did, we created events and, <clears throat> excuse me. And that was something that was always top of mind for us, right? We didn't want to have a speaker or a guest have to request things from us ahead of time, right? We wanted to have that in place already. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had someone, um, an ASL interpreter kind of there already. Um, we wanted to make sure, yes, that there were ramps, you know, in and out of the building, but also it was standard for every stage, right? So regardless of who it was, it was accessible. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure even when you said the whole thing about tables, you know, at receptions, do we have tables at different heights? Do we have different ways for people to walk in and experience the space or roll in and experience the space, right? So it was it was something that took a little bit of extra, um, excuse me, mind strength yes. to do, but on the back end, it became such a talking point of, oh my gosh, I didn't even have to ask. It was there. Um, and it just helped so much. And so as I'm thinking about this and I think about organizations that are trying to be more inclusive and trying to be more equitable, right? Yet they don't have anyone currently on their, their staff that may have these needs. What I'm hearing from you, it's still important to have them in place so that it's not an afterthought or like, oh, we didn't think about that, which sends a different message, yes. you know, all around. The other thing I, I hear or I'm um, thinking about as you're talking is that's how you truly understand if an organization is inclusive, like purposefully inclusive. If they have these things in place as someone with a disability and you don't have to ask for it, Right now, you're more willing to, okay, this is probably somewhere that I would feel more included, more valued, more seen, yes. more connected, all of those things. Yeah, that plays a role in how I, I hate to use the word judge, but how I view the company or the mm -hmm. organization. I mean, I can tell just by the website, so oftentimes, if they're going to be an inclusive company organization if it's too difficult for me to navigate the site if there's no level of um different software that's available for limited vision or limited hearing i can see that if it's difficult for me to even request a reasonable accommodation if there's no contact available on the website that's clearly indicated for that title that job i can already tell okay accessibility is not on the the foresight of their mind and especially if I go into the building and I'm seeing there's a ramp but it's filled with you know boxes and packages it's like a loading dock I can tell number one someone does not work here that has some level of disability they're not accessing these spots and you don't see this ramp as an accessible tool, you see it as a loading dock. So I can tell right away there's a there's a gap there. You don't see the importance of it. And that's yeah. okay because that's where the educational piece comes in. Absolutely. And you know it's it's disheartening to hear you say that because 
Sherry mentioned a similar um, example, right? And she, her the example she used was the stall in the bathroom, right? That could be accessible, but when you open it and it has it's used for storage or storage boxes, you know that tells you, you know everything you kind of need to know about the organization as well too. Um, that and then she said coat closets was mm -hmm. another where if the the rack is is too high, if there's not two racks that allows for access, um, the message that that sends as well too. It so it definitely makes you feel like a below a second class citizen. Mm -hmm. And to live in a world where I pay taxes and I'm I'm proud to live in this country, but if it at oftentimes makes me feel like I'm a second class citizen and I shouldn't feel that way based on something that I was born with or happened to me out of you know, that's not a feeling I should have. I should feel included and accepted. And yes, we need to discuss the racial um, disparities, the um, sexual orientation disparities, but accessibility needs to be a part of that conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that organizations can hire a consultant, right, to do, you know, a walkthrough, as you called it, was it a roll? Roll through. A roll through. I love that. Um <laughs> What else could organizations do to really create a lens of equity and inclusion as they're looking at not just accessibility? Because again, I think to your point, many people align accessibility with compliance, mm -hmm. but how to become a more inclusive organization for people of varying abilities? Well, for starters, definitely training your staff there's a lot of racial equity trainings going on, which is great. Mm -hmm. But we need to start training your staff to know how to talk to people with disabilities. The language factor, you would be surprised how many people use incorrect language when it comes to people with disabilities. So having an accessibility training, a disability training that focuses on language and understanding and recognizing because we live in a world where there are there, disabilities are everywhere. It's not just someone in a wheelchair. It's not just right. someone with a walking cane. It can be someone that looks just like yourself but has limited hearing. But you don't know that. So we need to train mm -hmm. your staff to be cognizant of all walks and shapes of life that come with disability. So yes, working in trainings. Also, I'm quite sure someone within your organization has some level of a disability, and I'm not saying you need to call them out, but maybe open the conversation company-wide, open that conversation of not, oh, if you have a disability, raise your hand, but you know, open that conversation and say, how can we as a company become more accessible? Let's brainstorm. What can we do right now? That's trainings, there's team building, there's also working with a consultant, having them even working with your IT, making your website more accessible, more clear, you know, your hiring practices. Are you working with the community? You know, disabled people also want jobs. We want careers. We don't just want people to think that we're incapable. We are highly capable. So work with your local community. 
out widen your hiring practices. I mean, these are the first steps to being inclusive. And yeah. I think everyone can really practice these um, efforts. You'll see a completely different change. You know, I'm loving so much of what you said because, you know, with language comes understanding and there are so many of us that have grown up with certain phrases or language that is ableist, right? For lack of a better term. Um, and so how do you unlearn those things or how do you understand kind of the root cause or the root of many of those phrases and why they're um, unacceptable, um, I think is very helpful. The other thing, you know, that you said just now was about knowing that there are people with disabilities in your organization. Um, and so many folks are focused on physical disability versus the invisible disability. And, you know, neurodiversity is now falling under disability. Mm -hmm. And so with so many people that fall in neurodiversity is huge, <laughs> a whole gamut in itself, right? And so when you start to look at it from that perspective, probably more than half of your employees have some type of disability, right? The other thing that um, Sherry mentioned in, in the episode that we did with her was there are even temporary disabilities, yes. right? Where you might break an arm or a leg or you know what have you, make temporarily go blind um, or lose your hearing and when those things happen, then you start to realize how inaccessible the world really is. The world really is. And not to wish that on anyone, <laughs> but yeah. there are um, programs out there. I remember when I was in tech, um, we went through a training where we basically were given a disability to function and given um, some activities to do. And how frustrating it was just to try to like move a mouse on the screen, or, you know, all of these things. And so I think, you know, when you can put yourself in someone's shoes, you have a sense of empathy, mm -hmm. but you shouldn't have to do that in order to feel empathy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Even in my, I'm currently going to different camp college campuses and nonprofits doing trainings within the DEI and accessibility world. And one of the trainings I do is disability um, language and knowing what to say. And then also I put them in a, a practice lab where I actually give them a real world scenario. You have, your group has this disability. Your group has this disability. And I put them in a real world scenario and say, how do you function? How do you get mm -hmm. out of your, how do you get, how do you leave your apartment or your home? How do you get to work? Yeah. You're at work. How do you navigate the restroom situation? You know, these are all things that, like you said, people don't realize until it hits home. And it's not to say that we want you to have a disability and, you know, really fight that fight. But we also want you to be very cognizant that, this world is not made for us. Mm -hmm. A little bit of compassion and planning would fix a lot of the issues. Absolutely. It has to be accessible. Absolutely. 
So I want us to touch on a little bit of the um, the intersection of identity, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, as you pointed out earlier, we talk a lot about race. We talk a lot about gender. Um, very little is done in the space of, of disability or accessibility. But when you have those intersections, right, there are also unique challenges that come along with that because there is... I hate to say it, you know, racism, sexism within the disability community as well, too. Um, and so how do you start to educate people on looking at those intersections, right? Because they are important. I think one thing for me is, and I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, I have to embrace the intersectionality and make it where it's a vulnerable space, but a comfortable space for myself and whoever I'm engaging with, because mm -hmm. I never want to make people feel too uncomfortable where they never want to have a conversation again. Mm -hmm. I want them to understand, yes, I'm aware that I'm a Black woman, I'm an educated Black woman, and yes, I'm aware that there's racism, and then if you put my disability on top of it, people automatically think, oh, I'm incapable of holding a job. I'm incapable of going to college. Some members of my own family, when I turned 18, just assumed I would stay home and just, you know, live life at home. But I was determined. And I always tell people my best way to show you and educate you is to take you along with me. Yeah. I'm going to show you. So when I was 18, I left home. I moved into my own apartment, went to college, went on to receive my bachelor's, went on to receive my master's degree. And anyone that I am able to interact with, I hope that they learn that just because I have a disability does not mean I am disabled. Absolutely. I love I, that. I can accomplish the same things you do. It might be a little different. I might have to modify it. I might have to pivot. It might even take longer, but I'm going to do it because I know I can do this. So that's how I can educate them and let them know just because you see me in a wheelchair doesn't mean I'm less capable. I work in government. I've worked in the entertainment industry. I mean, and when I say I worked in the entertainment industry, I was on red carpets. I, I was, love it. I was, I was interning at press junkets, and everyone that came up to me said, "You inspire me so much because you're out here doing what you love." And I want to be inspiration, but I want to be more of an educational inspiration. Mm. I want you to hold me up to some level of, "Oh my gosh, she's amazing! She got out of bed." No, I want you to realize. <laughs> I'm amazing because I never gave up. Candace, I absolutely love that. I, I, I mean, I just, every time I hear your story, I'm just like, yes, do it. <laughs> because I think, you know, you, you said it so eloquently just now. So many people get this and go into this mindset of like, oh no, like they feel bad mm -hmm. and guilt for nothing that they did or had anything to do with. And you are, striving and excelling and going above and beyond their expectations. Yes. Right. 
because you already knew what you could accomplish. And so that's what I appreciate. It's like, I'm not going to um, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you what I can do and you can catch up. So I, I love, I love, I love that. Um, so if people wanted to contact you or, or learn more, because I know you work for an organization now, um, you know, how could they do that? Where could they go to connect with you or um, even build their own capabilities in this space? Yes. Um, so, yes, I do work for an organization, but if you I, I do offer trainings on my own and I'm always open to have a conversation to educate and provide information so they can go to my website, which is www.candiswelch.com. And I'm also very active on social media, more so Instagram, and it's um, at Candace Welch. And just contact me. I'm, I respond very quickly. And I'm, like I said, I'm always open to a conversation. I'm always open to you getting to know me, understand me, and um, whatever resources I can provide, whether it's helping one individual or your entire company. I'm open to the conversation because I want to educate as well as inspire. Love, love, love it. And my final question, which everyone knows is always my final question. What do you do to take care of yourself? Like, how do you fill your cup? Well, I will be honest. I'm not the best. <laughs> I think as just as a woman, a black woman, it's a struggle for us to take time to ourselves and at 37, I'm learning that even more and more every day. But I also want to do better than my previous generation. So for myself, I am actively in therapy, working out day-to-day -day issues. I mean, mm. I have trauma. I don't think there's anything wrong with going into therapy. If it's something that's going to help you, do it. Because I've been in therapy, and it's worked wonders. It helps me unclog the memories and everything and then also just having boundaries mm -hmm. women we struggle with creating and respecting our own boundaries so for me once i'm done at the end of the day like around 7 p.m i'm no longer in front of a computer i don't sit on my bed and do work like i used to it's my time so i have a glass of wine, enjoy a little TV, read a book. It's my time. And I honor that. So those are the self-care that I do. And you know, I always love a good trip. Yes. Vacation. <laughs> so I always tell people travel is my love language. So, you know, but yeah, just taking moments for myself because I'm not a robot. I need time to release reset and recharge. Absolutely. I, I so appreciate that um, because so many of us have this mindset of we have to work all the time. And I'm like, mm, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> so, I subscribe to that. <laughs> at all. So Candace, thank you so much for this conversation today. I think, you know, you shared enough that people will really start to think about how they're approaching this um, the questions that they could ask internally um, that they may have assumed they didn't need to ask, but probably should and learn a lot. Um, 
and and just ways that we could be more inclusive as leaders as we continue to build, you know, workplaces of the 21st century, right? We're in this 21st century. How do we continue to do better? So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. And if I could just say one last thing to your audience, I always want to say never be afraid to be an ally. Mm -hmm. I think what people were so focused on our unit, our our immediate family, but and that's all good, but never forget, you can always be an ally. An ally is just someone that when they see an injustice or see something wrong, they speak up. If you see someone that might need assistance, it's no harm in approaching and saying, hey, do you need some help? You know, there's no harm in that. Being an ally is a beautiful thing. And I think so many people tend to say, oh, no, no, they, you know, I got to do it all by myself. No, become an ally. We need more allies than enemies. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Candace. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of DEI After Five. I hope that you were able to take away one or two nuggets of information um, that can help you in your journey through this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Until next time, have a good one.